Hey, and welcome back to the podcast. At the start of the year, I took my church through the letter to the Galatians. Now, this letter is short, but it's full to the brim with content. So enjoy as we grapple with how big Jesus is and how he changes everything. What do you think freedom looks like? What does it look like to you to be free? How would you answer that? For a number of people, if you listen to the radio, this is quite a common interview question, other than political views and things like that. It's a question that's asked on the radio a lot. What would you do if you were completely free? And for a number of people, the idea of being free is to escape people, to get away to a remote island, maybe with five desert island discs or something like that, and only have yourself to care about. I don't know if you agree with that, if that sounds like a delight to you. Well, last week we were seeing that a Christian, someone who is free, is one who lives by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And Paul's going to continue that theme this evening in verse 25. Have a look down, verse 25, chapter 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And if you see there, there's a distinction between living in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. It appears you can live by the Spirit, but not keep in step with the Spirit. That seems to be what's going on here. So we have to keep in step with the Spirit. It's an active thing to do, to march in tune to, with the Spirit, a kind of ongoing action something we thought about last week. And if we do that, Paul said last time, we won't give an opportunity, or if you remember, a springboard for the flesh, or a base of operations, another way of saying it. So we focus on the we, rather than on the me. Else, as Paul says here, we will become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now those words there, we know what they mean. We know what that looks like. The ability to puff ourselves up with empty glory. When we feel the need just to one-up someone else. You see, our attitude to others says a lot about our attitudes about ourselves. Our attitudes to others reveal our attitude about ourselves. You see, if we think we're better than someone else, well then we're going to find opportunities to be putting them down by provoking them. Or, on the flip side, if we think we're less than someone else, then we're going to avoid all the opportunities to be shown up by that person. We end up envying them. See, our attitude to others reveals our attitude about ourselves. And it reveals our attitude to God. See, if we're provoking or we're envying someone, it means we don't fully grasp our position in light of what God has done for us. We still think that we have something that's worthy of praise. We still think that we have to work to be right before God. We forget that we're deserving of God's wrath and have been rescued from it by Christ crucified. So all the glory we have actually is empty. So by knowing those things, by keeping ourselves in step with the Spirit, we have two pointers this evening. Look out for others in chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, and look out for yourself in verses 3 to 5. 
Now, Sam and I meet up on a Monday, and we meet up on a Friday. We talk about what we're preaching, but these pointers aren't never connected by choice. These things have worked out that way. So Sam this morning had watch out. We've got look out this evening. It's just worked out that way. It's amazing, isn't it? So the first, look out for others. You see, a spirit-filled church is a caring church. A spirit-filled church is a caring church. I don't know how many churches you know of that like to say, we're spirit-filled. We're not focusing on anything else. We're a spirit-filled church. Well, a spirit-filled church is a church that cares for one another. A church that is others-focused. In the 18th century, our society went through a radical change in the period that self-titled itself the Enlightenment. You see, at that point in history, the community idea fell down and individuality rose up. Look after number one became the mantra of the times. Or at least it became acceptable to say that. We know that humanity from the fall onwards has always suffered with an I issue. Sometimes we say to the children that I is at the centre of sin, the word and what's going on. And the issue is making too much of ourselves. And we do still live in the present evil age as Paul called it in chapter 1. But Paul's big call in verses 1 to 2 to the freed people, to those with the spirit, is to look out for others, to care for others. In verse 1 he says that those who live by the spirit, that's every Christian as we saw last week, should look out for those who are caught in sin. We had a whole list of things last Sunday evening, you can just look up the paragraph slightly whole list of things that Christians can struggle with. Things, remember, that don't define them, but things that can cause them struggles. But why? Why should Christians look out for each other? How should we look out for each other? Well, just think for a moment to yourself. Someone in Christchurch has come to you, you specifically, with an issue. What do you do? And I thought this through. The temptation is to maybe talk to some other people about it. Maybe share it with other people like that. Or perhaps to pass it up the chain. Maybe get it rid of it as fast as you can to pass it on like a hot potato. But notice what Paul says here. He says this to the Galatians. He says this to us in Christchurch Hemel. He says that if you live by the Spirit, you have everything you need. You should restore that person gently. Now the word for restore there is used for setting a bone back in place. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I dislocated my finger a few years back and the doctor had to set it again for me. Now that wasn't the most pleasant of experiences for me. For some reason I refused pain medication. Must have been the the pain of that. But that was what was needed in order to get my hand functioning right again. Restoring someone may not be pain free, but it's the way to get them functioning right again. You see, the whole process is to restore that person. It's not to humiliate that person. It's not to put them down. Notice it's to be done gently. And if you remember from last week, that is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Just a few verses before this one. But if we flip that around, if someone comes to you with an issue, what would you do? Well, how about if someone corrects us? What do we think when someone calls us out for something personally? Do we flat out ignore it? Think there's nothing there? 
Or do we think to ourselves, actually, maybe there's something there to work on? Because the truth is that we all ought to be humble enough to realise that if our brother or sister in Christ has been caught in sin, then we could be too. It may be them today, it may be us tomorrow. So we are to, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Help carry that weight that is on the back of our fellow Christian. Whenever I think of that, I'm thinking of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Remember that story? Whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, whether that's mental, whether that's spiritual. That might be a time commitment, or it might have a financial cost to it. Now, I don't want to put us down here at Christchurch Hemel. I think we do a great job in this area. We were really grateful for all the food that was provided to us when Joanna was born. And we've had so much other blessings from this church, and I'm sure you could think of times like that too. But it's easy for us as a church to get comfortable, to think we're doing that, we can tick that box off. But instead, let's try and do more. Let's try and do even more than we've done already. And in this way, Paul says, verse 2, you fulfil the law of Christ. We live as Christ did and as Christ commands us to do. So we can ask ourselves, how can we help other believers financially? Who is lonely and who needs a visit? Who is down and needs to be built up and strengthened? Who is sick and in need of assistance? Sam says this a lot, I'm going to change it slightly. We're not a social club, we're a family. A family that is knit together by the Holy Spirit. Each time that we meet up during the week outside of church, each time we attend church events, we're supporting each other and living as a family by the Spirit. So this week, when we see a church member struggling, reach out to them, share their burden. And we share our burdens too. As a family, we should be open and honest about our sin and allow others to share our burdens. So this week, when you're feeling like you're struggling with some area, reach out to someone else here at the church and share your burdens. And we can confront sin in each other's lives knowing that it's out of love that we do that. It's like a parent correcting a child. It's for their good. Well, that's the first lesson, to look out for others. Here's the second one. Look out for yourself in verses 3 to 5. Now, in my preparation, I spent a long time trying to figure out how these two things work together, how the two parts fit together. Why would bearing one another's burdens make you proud? Well, I think it works like this. As we help one another, the temptation enters our minds to think, I'm someone who gives help. I don't need help. I'm important. Or, well, I don't do that particular thing that someone else struggles with, so I must be better than them in some way. That's the issue that we know took place in the Galatian church. The false teachers came into the church, saw the fledgling church, and thought to themselves, well, that's good, but we keep the law. We're above these people. We're better than these people. And the tendency is to be easy on ourselves and harder on others. To give ourselves a more lenient take than we'd give someone else. You see, it's easy to forget our position before God, as we were thinking about earlier, and to become proud. Instead, we're to realise that our actual state before God, well, what our actual state before God is, And let that keep us at the foot of the cross. See, when we realise that we're not what we think we are, 
but instead we're sinners saved by grace, then we have a reason to serve others. We're not deceiving ourselves, as Paul says there in verse 3. And in verse 4, Paul calls us to test our actions, to assess the way we do things. Why do we do them? What do we do? To lay everything out before the one who sees all and examine our hearts. To be able to look and see the evidence that we put our trust in him. Then as we look at our lives, we can see that God has changed us. We can see the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our lives. And we can take pride in that. Not because we've done something ourselves, but because God has changed us. The way that God has worked in our lives. Not in comparison to other people, but in light of where we knew we were. Because it does matter what we do. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 5. We each have a responsibility before the Lord. We each have to carry our own load before God because there's a real temptation there's a real danger and we need to grasp this that we can think that we're sorted but it's only when we take a long hard look in the mirror that we're shown what we really are see pride is probably the most common issue in the Christian life so we should be taking Paul's command here seriously to ask God to show us what we really are That's not a comfortable prayer. It's not a comfortable thing to ask for. To be shown where we don't meet the mark. But as I said, in doing that, we're driven to the foot of the cross. We come to understand and appreciate Christ crucified all the more. We come to know and understand the true gospel that Paul has been hammering home in the whole of this letter to the Galatians. So that means we can ask ourselves, how am I doing? In my Christian walk. Why am I doing this particular thing? What are my motivations? What has changed in my life? And what still needs to change in my life? And we can ask those things honestly. Remembering that we are prone to deceive ourselves as verse 3 says. But in doing that, by looking at those things personally, it means we're enabled to share one another's burdens, to bear them and to share ours with one another too. So as a spirit-filled church, as a church that is keeping in step with the spirit, we're called to be a caring church, a church that serves one another and takes our own sin seriously. As a family knit together by the spirit, that can honestly say that we are looking out for others and looking out for ourselves. Well, there's some things to chew on. Why not let me know what you think by sending an email? The details are in the show notes. But until next time, get on with praising God this week.